there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who killed the number 10? Mesut Ozil, retired. I mean, great player that didn't achieve enough throughout his career, in my opinion. You think he put up 140 chances? Giroud was a disgrace, mate. <laughs> that is, yeah. It would have been a success at Arsenal if Montpellier had never won Liga. I think it's pathetic, personally. Like, that you can't find, you can't find one coach yeah. just because he ain't big enough. Grow up. Is there a worse account on football Twitter? It's up there. No Whoever problem. runs it, this Stop is a message it. to you. Leave your role. It's awful. Really? I can't stand it, it, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ripple Effect. Uh, we are going to be diving into some international chat when it comes to football, uh, England and the future of England, but also breaking down and finding out once and for all who killed the number 10. There's only one person with that kind of... Um, Feeling, passion, romance when it comes to football. Mm. It's Joe Tomlinson who joins me for the first time. Hopefully not the last time, Fingers but crossed. we will see. Uh, Joe, thanks for coming. No worries, Appreciate mate. it, mate. Excited. No uh, we're going to do two this week. Uh, we did it with Rory last week. We spoke about Conte. We'll talk about Conte as well in a second. And uh, we also spoke about Frank Lampard, and which was interesting because like the, the effect of him as a manager, I think, could be stronger than him as a player, which is dangerous. But that podcast is out right now. Who claimed now. that? Who claimed that? Rory. Uh, no, I think that might have been one of mine. James. Uh, well, you'll have to go and listen to that one to find out what I meant when I, when I said that. But that one is out right now if you want to go and listen to that. Also, if you want to support this podcast, we've been in the top 10 of the Spotify charts for the whole duration of the podcast, which is unbelievable and completely down to you guys um, clicking a couple of buttons. So if you do feel generous, follow the podcast and give us a five-star rating. Let's get straight into this because normally you do sort of quick-fire ripples, but there's two... <laughs> you all right? The ripple sound of... Yeah, just... Okay. So I thought you were getting concerned with ripples and nipples. I thought, no. Might, no? Okay. No. I know how childish you can be. Okay. So we've got three really key things here. And in terms of the two podcasts that we're going to do this week, I've moved it around a few times because I think they're, they're really, really juicy talking points. What we're going to do for our Evergreen podcast <clears throat> will be having a look at Ronaldo, who broke another record this week. But that will be its own podcast. So in this one, as I say, we're going to have a look at the number 10, because Ozil retired this year and talk about England's future after a really strong uh, start to their campaign from the Euro qualifiers. But w the Conte story that was rumbling on all through last week, let's dive into that because he has finally, I actually titled it. I titled, you, we all do. So mm. obviously you're a YouTuber, Joe. Uh, so am I. We've been in this game a long time, mm. almost too much because we actually seem to keep doing each other's videos. You did a Wonder Kids video that went Banged out on Friday. Well. Did it bang? Yeah. Great. Mine's out. Mine's out by the time you're listening to this. And what happens now often, because often the ones that you'll either, I'll either be about to copy you or you'll copy, you'll yeah. have copied me previously. It's always on a sort of Friday, Saturday. I know. And you've been doing it. Do you know I've been copying you recently, though. Do you know what it is, though? I think people don't realise as well is that, like, some videos are, like, pre-made. So, like, they'll go out on the same day and go, oh, copying each other. Like, we, we don't communicate. We're <laughs> no, making no, no, no. the same video. It's just pure coincidence because there's so many topics that we've covered over the years that we've basically got nothing left to talk about. Do you know what, as well, though? I think there's a there are certain times... This is the ripple effect of the algorithm, guys, if you weren't aware of this. There are certain videos that do well. Yeah, there are. And, and, and at certain times of the year. And I think we're in the same mindset with some of those sometimes because it's around... It's, it's the right time for a Wonder mm. Kid video. So it there's is. another video to go and check out uh, when you get a chance. But the, the Conte one, that I was saying to Joe, 
great a great ripple effect on the rest of my day is when a manager gets sacked because that mm. is a quick video that will do well where I can just give my opinion that I don't need to do too much sort of drilling into the sort of stats and all those things. This has got major ripple consequences, Antonio Conte's sacking. Well, yes. Across Europe. Massively. Mm. And do you know what? The two people, because look, we've spoken about the fallout from all of that, but him leaving, and more importantly, who replaces him, that I, th- I think the, the big ripple effect as, uh, as time passes over the, the Conte thing is that press conference is such a body blow for Tottenham as an entity in terms of the sort of the Spursy thing that's been spoken about by fans all the time. He went and said it himself. So that is just a huge mm. stick to, to beat them with. But the next manager has to be able to try and hold on to Harry Kane. It's those two things. But also, I'm starting to think, in the video I did this morning, I was talking about you need to start to think about a manager that can get a tune out of a team that doesn't have Harry Kane in that, in that team. Definitely. Who do you think should be the next guy? Uh, the next guy, if you were to get anyone you like feasibly could want... Let's say that Julian Nagelsmann wasn't rejecting you. Um, I would obviously go for Julian Nagelsmann, who I think is the outstanding candidate. I think that more so than winning and results, Tottenham fans need a style of play that's attractive in the next boss. After watching Jose, after watching Nuno, after watching Conte, I mean, it's been ugly, isn't it? So I think more than anything, the manager has to come in and have an impact on a style of play that's attacking. And we know Julian Argelsman specialises in that. We, we all know about his goals per game average as, as, as a coach being one of the best in Europe and playing frighteningly attacking football at Hoffenheim and Leipzig before he got to Bayern. So I think I would personally go for Julian Nagelsmann. Do I think it's realistic they can get him? I'm not I'm not sure. I think it depends if Real Madrid want him. If Real Madrid want him, you're not going to get him. Mm. If Real Madrid don't want him, then I think you've got to stand a great chance. It's. I mean, like you say, look, the, the consequences of, firstly, Nagelsmann getting the sack in the mm. first place, which is... It's kind of, you know, because they're having a title race this year, whereas every other year they don't, you know, in the Champions League, they've still done really, really well. Do you well. think if Nagelsmann hadn't been sacked, Conte would have got the next six months? Conte would have got the next six months. Do you think they Do would have mean? kept Conte to the end of the season if Nagelsmann hadn't been sacked? I so, so I think the, the the consequence of Conte and again, that pre, that press conference is, I think managers will be so reticent to, to give him a job now because he's going to spend all your money and he's going to run the off. Italians won't. The, the Italians, Italians will, right. yeah, the Italians will, will will take him back. One, but it'll be one of those where, oh, Antonio Conte was able to go to all these different clubs and do whatever he wanted and spend whatever he wanted yeah. and run off in a huff because he'd got given you the trophies. So as much as, and he's made such a huge mistake there because I think they all knew it was over, but they were just going to wait to the end of the season. Let's let's get ourselves Champions League do football. Do you think he made a mistake? I, I think he made a huge mistake. I disagree. I think really? he, I think he what he's done there is he's protected himself for future jobs. I think he thinks he has. Yeah, I think now when he walks into a uh, a boardroom of another club, let's say into Milan, let's say an Italian team, let's say Juventus lose Allegri in the summer or, or wherever, I think he goes in there and goes, well, like I laid out in that press conference, the players just they didn't invest and, and they've not won under any manager. No manager can win there. It's impossible, and that's the reason I I, I didn't win anything and failed there. So I would go. So why did you behave like that at Inter Milan when you left there? Why did you behave the way you did with Chelsea? Yeah, he's, he's done that for 10 years and got a job continuously at top elite clubs. I just think that that's... I don't that's think the, the money's knocking way, about anymore because the money's all in the Premier League, really. Mm. Or, or Real Madrid. Yeah, not Barcelona anymore. So it's those few clubs that have the money. You've already burnt bridges. You've sued Chelsea, so you can't go back there. No. So I think the, so few clubs would want to give him the money to be able to buy the players that he kind of wants. He's going to get an elite club, mate. I think it'll be uh, Juventus and one of the he Milan could go sides. Home. He could go home to Juventus, I but think, they have no money. I think there'd be an option of Atletico Madrid on the table in the summer. I'm not sure Diego Simeone's going to be here beyond the summer. And I, I think agree. that that's quite a natural fit. That Antonio is Conte fit. has the evolution from Diego Simeone. I just, if I was an owner, I wouldn't go anywhere near him. I wouldn't go anywhere near him. Gary Neville that. was right. I respect that. Gary I respect Neville was right. That. He was right. Yeah. He was right, especially when it came to Manchester United. Could you imagine how horrible that fit would have been? And I certainly would have said at the time that Antonio Conte would have been a good appointment. So another L for Tomlinson. Because <laughs> I think the, the, the ripple effect of applying a process, mm-hmm. that's the thing that I've seen from this, is they went, you had Mourinho and you had Conte, and they've, they've basically, you've gone, oh, they're winners, get them in, and it's kind of back to front. That's why Nagelsmann... And Pochettino, I think Pochettino's still got the energy for it. 
has he still got the ability to 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 do the job that he wants to do and, and get Tottenham over these barriers to to get the trophy that's needed? It's not going to be Poch, though, is it? I mean, there's no way. Why not? Because you could, why would, why wouldn't they be appointing him now? Why would they wait six months to the summer and go with Stellina? He's available. He lives in London. He might be playing hardball. I, well, he might then, be playing hardball because the thing is, he should be playing hardball because you you dropped him. They've Tot- screwed up. They spent a load of money, Tottenham and so he's going to want to spend him. the money. Tottenham should be playing hardball with him. With Pochettino, yeah, eighteen months no club. How many times have, has he been passed up for opportunities? Bayern's job's been available in that time. He's been sat by PSG, but that's why Chelsea he's. Job's been but available. that's why he's a good shout for Tottenham because at Tottenham, it's been proven to have the guy. Go get the guy. Is not the right guy. Mm. You need a guy that goes, hey. I'm not afraid. Come with me. Let's do it together. That's why Nagelsmann's a great shout because not he's got the experience and the youth to kind of to have that exuberance to go. Don't worry, guys. We're just going to go for it, and that, that's yeah. what's necessary. Same. You, you've kind it's of a seen nice it with fit. Arteta. It's a nice fit at Tottenham, yeah. but I just I think that you know we know that Florentino Perez has had conversations with Julian Nagelsmann prior to taking over Bayern Munich about taking over at Real Madrid. I think if the Real Madrid job's there, it's impossible to say no to. I actually don't think it's an amazing fit, Nagelsmann at Madrid. Can he walk in there and go, Luka Modric, you know, Cruz, Karim, who are older than him. Yeah. have one more than him. (laughs) They are literally older than him. They're literally older than him and go, do you know what? I'm phasing you out. I'm moving. I think it's a difficult conversation to have. So do you know what the problem would be with the Real Madrid drop is that you go there... And there's always a full guy before the, yeah. the actual guy who kind of is the collateral damage in it. And I think with Ancelotti and what he's done there and, and his, his ability as a manager to allow players to, to just play, if Nagelsmann comes in, what he'll want to probably do is just go, look, and understandably, Camavinga, Chiuameni, all the younger dudes, mm. off you go. And if that doesn't work straight away at Real Madrid, then you're in. Then you're in. Yeah, you've got you've got to have credit in the bank, haven't yeah, you, at Real Madrid? Yeah. That's what Ancelotti had in abundance. And he's so young, he doesn't have enough credit in the bank. If things start to go wrong in three months and they're not winning comfortably, it could be Bayern Munich two point yeah. So I I think Nagelsmann would be an amazing fit for Tottenham. I think they do stand a bit of an uphill battle trying to get him there. Okay, guys, right, bit of Conte chat that there. We're now going to dive freebie. in. Freebie, yeah, the freebie. That's it. Yeah, but that's the last we talk of Conte. Because for a thankfully, while. thankfully, <laughs> yeah, at last, yeah. Is he still, yeah, is he still slightly unhinged? Yep, he's still slightly unhinged. Right, uh, after this ad break, we are going to talk about who killed the number 10. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, guys. Here we go. Mr. Ozil. Retired. No more. I kind of thought he was retired a few years ago, if I'm honest. No, I'm joking. But have we seen the last of the great number 10s? I put this out on Twitter. It was so interesting. And Joe loves his tactics. So I'm intrigued to mm. hear what you have to say about it. In the week, Meza Ozil retired. It feels like an important question for us to ask. The number 10 has been an iconic position in football for over 50 years, with almost every young player wanting to be the creator and the main guy in the team. A number 10 is the most fun position to play but have we moved past fun in football and is it becoming all about efficiency and systematic approaches first of all shall we give uh, Ozil mm. his, his flowers if you want. how do you feel about him he, he's a Great funny player. one where I think people get quite angry if you <clears throat> sort of don't give him the plaudits mm. but he was quite a confusing player for people to sort of critique analyse and watch at times. I mean, great player that didn't achieve enough throughout his career, in my opinion. Um, what did he end with? One league title and four cups? I think he should have achieved an awful lot more than that for the time of the World Cup. Of course, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. On the international level, you'd have to say he was absolutely exceptional mm. for, for Germany. I mean, across his, what is it, would have been four tournaments, maybe more. He was stunningly good. 2010 to 2014 in particular. I mean, for Germany, consistent German player of the year, wasn't he? So, yeah. 
absolutely exceptional. Um, a few controversies along the way. A few controversies along the way, and that dogged him throughout his entire career, didn't it? All the way up to the end of Arsenal. Um, but yeah, he was an exceptionally gifted footballer. And the narrative, in my opinion, that the 10 is di- has died and will never be seen again is a nonsense. It's a nonsense. nonsense. Okay. It's a nonsense. Right, we'll, we'll unpack that. So uh, a final thing with, with Ozil, I think, that moved from Real Madrid to Arsenal. Mm. Was that a success? I don't think it was, was it? I think sometimes as well, it, often a, a player's career is understandably sort of um, shrouded or clouded with the team and how they do. And he kind of went in to be the guy. Wenger wanted to, you know, the, the Arsenal fans were kind of going. And, you know, again, in terms of like our journey, in mm. terms of being in, in football YouTube, it was sort of the start of the noise. Do you know what? Here's a good ripple for you. Is it would have been a success at Arsenal if Montpellier had never won Liga. Nice. If Olivier Giroud had never gone to Arsenal, they would have won that league in 15-16. He was so bad in the second <laughs> half of the season, it was comical. If you think of that season that Leicester won the league, yeah. Ozil put up 19 assists. Ozil put up 19 assists. Yeah, I think he created, amazing. I think it's, the highest number in Premier League history in terms of chances created is 140, 145 chances created. 19 assists. He got 15 of them in his first 16 games. So across the second half of the season, in 22 games, he only got four assists. And you think he put up 140 chances? Giroud was a disgrace, mate. <laughs> that is, yeah. Giroud was a disgrace. It was a super winnable league title. So the Montpellier element, of course, is like he, he was at Montpellier. He crushed it. Did well. At Montpellier. They we, won the league. Won the league. And if they hadn't have won the league and he hadn't crushed it, I don't believe Arsenal would have ended up signing him. I think that a more elite level striker, Arsenal win the league in that Leicester season. I know that Leicester was the fairy tale story. That was a winnable league title for Arsenal. And if Ozil had then finished his Arsenal career with a Premier League title, first time in. What would it have been? 15 years? 10 years? 11 years. Yeah, yeah, would have been a Premier League title, four FA Cups. It would have been much more of a success than when he leaves with just domestic cup success. Yeah. I think he's also, as I say, he came into huge fanfare. It was when those deadline days were crazy. And, you know... Dildos and ears. Dildos and ears. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, dildos and ears. And uh, he came in and, and started well and was very... He was a very Wenger-like player. And when you talk about tens, Wenger, when he came in, he was asked, like, can you, you know, can you get a tune out of all of these tens? Because they had Cazorla, mm. they had Ramsey, they had Wilshere, they had Ozil, of course, as well. And he said, it's, it will be fine. The, the most important player is the, the player with the ball. And, mm. But I think the hype that came with him, obviously him coming from Real Madrid as well, they they seemed to be unable to kind of make it truly fit. But it's interesting. So you're suggesting that the truth about Ozil is that it wasn't actually even his fault. No, I think, I think there was large elements that were his fault. I think Do you w- believe in the lazy element? That always was a big um, thing thrown at him because I think that's an interesting part of a what is or was definitely. a number 10. Oh, for sure. And, and I think that the game progressed in a manner that caught Ozil up. I think not only was he unable to press effectively I think particularly you look at the Unai Emery sides that press very coherently from the front and in attacking midfield positions he wasn't able to do that I also think that the pressing against him caught him up to an element I think when Jurgen Klopp arrived in the league and bought this hell to leather press yeah I think that that kind of trickle down effect of of people seeing how effective a press could be against Ozil hurt him long term mm. um, and then also I mean I don't know about his attitude it's hard to comment people always like aren't they oh what you know his attitude cost him lazy off the field nobody knows I think that that's quite an English mentality it that. is you don't know that he could have been the best trainer in the world you mm. never see him train so yeah. how can you say he's a lazy player on a day to day basis I think that's an unfair kind of thing to, to level at him but on the pitch I think he, he struggled with, with the pressing nature of football in the Premier League I think also he was he was a lot about vision as much as about a dribbling ability. Mm. And I think sometimes that that killer pass, that one sing, singular killer pass, is actually, that's dying a little bit, I think. Uh, more Like more and more so mm. in terms of the, the frequency of it. Now, he, you, like you say, with the chances that he created, he was able to do that. And if you can, you know, create the rotations, you can do that. But I think 
that sort of one ball that you could play, like you know Paul Merson, and Letizia, like those, yeah. those guys could have played. That wasn't that wasn't available as much as it had been. So you had to almost take a player out of the game to 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 start that. And so Urzo, when we're talking about tens, I think he certainly is a ten due to the fact that he was composed and quite nonchalant. But he, I, I don't think of him as a dribbler. I we, think, I think we need a, to define what people see as a 10. Well, that's it. So it comes I, I, down to 10 definitions. Linguistics. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, before we started recording, Joe said linguistics. I think it's the linguistics of a 10 that's the problem. And I said, do you sure that you mean linguistics? I do. I think okay. the definition and how people choose to speak about number 10s affects how people view number 10s. Okay. You know, so what's off the top of your head, what do you what do you think that a, a 10 is or was? If you I actually ask, put this out on Twitter. I mean, so if I've you were it. to ask the average person walking down the street and ask 100 people and get an average from that, I think they would say it's someone who is quite silky, operates in the half spaces, gets on the ball, plays lots of assists, creates lots of chance, isn't the hardest worker. You know? That's, see, that's important. And that's the linguistic I'm talking right. about, Jimbo. Okay. That's, that's the, the key linguistic, linguistic I'm talking about. Okay. Because I think, I think that's, a, that's why we... That was the ripple effect of us talking about this right now. Mm. Because I think Ozil, that was the big thing with him. Is, is, he, is he lazy or not? I actually think the spin on that is wrong, right? Because I, I quite like the guys that just seem so cool and calm under pressure. Mm. That's the guy... I actually think the problem often with him was either you know, creating a system that could allow him the space to have true freedom to get on the ball. But also getting the ball to him quickly enough as well, because I think he wasn't helped by the fact that he's part of crap Arsenal teams at times. Well, that's it. You know, uh, what was his? I've got a, I've got his name now. The uh, Coquelin, mm. Flamini. You know, he's you know gone on to do very well for himself financially. But uh, was he that good of a, <laughs> a centre midfielder? Mm. You know, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like Alonso giving him the ball. Like that, that was a massive difference. So in terms of that that definition, the the linguistics that you're talking about. So here's a few from uh, from my uh, Twitter. So. Uh, Antonio Mango says, number 10 position has changed with the times because the game is more tactical based and the three-man midfield is more evident. Old school number 10s are deployed as advanced playmakers nowadays. Tim Sherwood's just shivering right now. Partially true. Partially true. Tom says, a a 10 is and has always been for me at least a central attacking midfielder who sits behind the strikers and acts as your main source of creativity in the team, getting uh, advanced enough to pop up with a handful of goals throughout the season. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because people say, you know, that that description there, mm. which I think is pretty much spot on about the the player that sat in the ten in behind the striker. Do you, need, do you need two strikers? No, uh, I don't think so. No. Four, you can play four, two, three, one with a quite a distinct ten, I think. But what I would say is that you know people said a very similar narrative about strikers. The number nine is dead. We're not going to see a poacher anymore in the game. We don't see somebody who just sits in the box and scores goals. Suddenly we see Haaland. Mm. We see Haaland, who is the ultimate penalty box poacher. One of the best, maybe the best penalty box poacher I've ever seen. And I think you, of Ruud van Nistelrooy yeah. immediately. And then I think of a player like Erling Haaland. People said two, three years ago, we'd see we'd seen the back of these guys. This was the death of it. I think if we see another player that can perform to such an elite level, you will just see it come back. Football's a cyclical game. I don't mm. think the number 10 is dead in the water. It's just transitioned into, like I think the first reply was, a slightly more advanced playmaker who has more facets to his game because they're not so elite at a single skill set. I think so. Some, things, some characteristics that I have when I think about it is sort of slight or small. Physically not that... Ozil wasn't that tiny though. No, no, he wasn't. But when I think of it, I, mm. I that's I the mean, kind but of Juan Yeah, Juan Mata, you know, Maradona, Messi, those kind of players. They, they kind of their their main attribute. They've used all of their uh, talent yeah. in having talent, not yeah, in yeah. having. The, and actually, that's something that I think people use sort of initially whimsically, but now, kind of for Ozil, it was a, a, a stick to beat him with was was the sort of the laziness because the game was, was changing mm. now. In terms of recent tens that still play, there I don't see too many knocking about. Messi obviously is is still one. James Rodriguez, I think at Everton, um, had that like no defensive responsibility really apart from trotting back. Are to we the looking rowing. for players that just don't do any defensive work? Because <laughs> well, I, I think it is a characteristic of it to a point. But actually this is why I, I slightly disagree with the idea that I think that old school number 10 is a little bit dead. Okay, so you had a disagreement. 
because I I think the I think Messi does it. I actually think an interesting point here is that I think a ten can survive in international football, but mm. I'm not sure with the chemistry. I think that's part that part of the reason that Özil was so exceptional for Germany yeah. and across such a number of different years was because the international game is inherently slower. Yeah. There are more spaces in between the lines because tactics aren't as evolved at international level as they are at club level. Because simply put, coaches get two weeks on the training ground when club coaches get a year. Yeah. So obviously, they're not as developed. The game is slower. And players like Ozil, when a game is slower, paid at his pace, with more openings between the lines, is often going to thrive. And that's why, like you say, you probably do see slightly more of them at 10. But I think there will be a player within the next 10 years that comes through and everybody goes, God, look at this guy. Like, he reminds you of Ozil, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, he's unbelievable again. I also think a couple of different things have, have allowed that 10 to somewhat die, but certainly change. Because I think there's, you know, you've got players like um, Kevin De Bruyne, you've got players like uh, Odegaard who feel like 10s, mm. but don't play like 10s totally. And, you know, KDB sometimes kind of does play as a 10, but actually, I actually prefer him when he kind of does go over to that right-hand side because you've got that crossing ability from him. So that's part of the downfall of it. But I also think two things. One... The systematic approaches of of teams, but also the pitches. Now I know I sound really old with that, but <laughs> hear me hear me out. I think that the pitches are so so good that generationally that's then let the next bunch. And also I think at grassroots level, you know, a lot of people playing on astroturf pitches and and used to playing on carpets essentially. That you know, like oh God, what's a name that's popping up to mind? Someone like Glenn Johnson, right? <laughs> hear me out. There are basically, actually, that's not a good example. So the future, let me go to the future. Someone like Rico Lewis. Yeah. There are tens playing everywhere now. Yeah. So Rico Lewis is kind of, he's been built to not really be your normal fullback. He's actually going to almost play as somewhat of a 10-6, that kind of player. Is that not just a ripple effect of Pep Guardiola being at Manchester City and making it and enforcing all of his youth teams to play in the same system that he plays at the senior level? I think those tens that we all reminisce about, mm. those old school ones, had a technical ability that was above everyone else because everyone else was getting it, playing it simple, hitting the channel. Yeah, you don't see that anymore. Everyone has to be able to take two, three touches, get themselves out of trouble. Is it not just more a case of there are still those players that are much more technically gifted than anyone else, but they are now just drilled into them? You've got to work harder. From a young age. You look at, for instance, for me, I think a prime example of this would be somebody like Gavi, who is not only technically insane, but has obviously had it drilled into him from a young age now that that's not enough. Yeah, You have to work and scrap like a dog on the football pitch. Same with Pedri. Technically unbelievable. I think that the technicality level of some of the players that would classically play in tens is still higher than some other players on the pitch. But they've got this backing of, you know, you can't just rely on it. You've got to work way harder than you did previously. I think that's down to two things. I think it's down to the overall technical ability of yeah. everyone being outrageously higher than it was, which kind of brings me back to like to the pitches a little bit. The other thing... Timo's is... blaming everything on Astro <laughs> Yeah. I could have been a player! Like, the other thing is, is the how well drilled, how much data how many angles are available to a coach on the sideline now and how they are able to see any little weaknesses. And because of that, you're able to, you know, teams play three, four different formations in, you know, within one game. And so, again, that kind of the weakness of that, of that one player, the only way it worked for Argentina was, again, because I think it is a slower, there is a slower style of play at international level. There is less quality. And you had workhorses, yeah. all around him and he still offers something messy obviously in terms of that dribbling ability to take players out of the game I think it's harder than ever to dribble past a player because teams are so switched on and, to, mm. and, and, and so coming to those managers that are to blame there's two polar opposites of it Klopp and Guardiola one is like we're talking about you're blaming the, these guys for the death of the ten I th yeah why not a little bit I mean I think I, I think they're a factor within it I think that like we don't see many of them. Mm. Like in terms of out and out, have massive success with tens. Uh, like Dortmund, oh, I think Coutinho. 
playing Coutinho on the... part of the Fabulous Four when it was Sadio Mane, Philippe Coutinho, Salah, and Bobby Firmino. That was a st- that was a stunningly good team. But I mean, got rid of him before they got really good. Only cash. A bit of Bunsen burner there, wasn't it? They were True. able to spend it. On I mean, okay, there you go. Well, would Liverpool? If they hadn't sold Coutinho, would they have... Well, no, because it allowed them to buy Alisson and Van Dijk, didn't it? And that effectively transitioned the team into, into the super club it became. Well, not super club, because they're obviously a massive club anyway, but super team it became. Right. Um, but I think Coutinho was absolutely was incredible. He, it, In a 10-roll, off of off off Bobby Firmino, I think even we look at we with Termez Özil the ten. You look at that Real Madrid. He was offered often operating off the left, coming in off that left half space. I think yeah. he wasn't just stuck in the middle of the pitch and unable to have any freedom. I think that maybe people have slightly miscategorized Özil with that guy who just stayed in their channel, just in between the lines. But what, so when I talk about those two people, so first of all, I talk about with, with Guardiola, you end up having pr- these progressive eights because. The, the tempo of the game is far slower. Mm. You completely control the game and the ball. and But if you're doing that, the opposition have time to set as well. So I think that affects your out-and-out, out, number 10, one guy, cent, you know, central attacking midfielder that we were discussing there, that yeah. you kind of get the ball and he will do what something for you because everyone around is. I mean more from a defensive point of view. Yeah. I think from the pressing point of view, and I know Man City press as well, but with the way that Liverpool press and get at the opposition as well, the way that they wanted to do that. I guess Firmino... See, Firmino's, he's not, is he? He's a false nine. He's never never been in that sort of style of play. comes back to linguistics, Jimbo. It does. People just, I think people ter- give terminology to positions that isn't necessarily always the case. Mm. You know, Ozil being termed the guy who just sticks in the channel, in between the lines, picks up. I don't necessarily think that was absolutely true. I think he, was, he, he could drift wide. In the same way, you know, I would probably said, particularly in his Valencia days, David Silva quite a classic number 10 Mm. arrives with Pep Guardiola adds different facets to his game maybe becomes more of a driving eight that can can play from deep and press off the ball but you know if he had never arrived and played with Pep he would have gone down as a classic number 10 a playmaking number 10 so I don't know whether I would term the number 10 as it's a one one size fits all thing I see I think it I think it for me it was yeah. For me, it, it now isn't because you have that congestion in the middle of the pitch as well. So but who, not who other than Erzo would fit into that one size fits all number ten? Because you think you go back to the go back a long way. You could technically Messi, Messi is that Messi like, now Messi, Messi now is, Messi is, now yeah. But you could go back a long 10. way. You wouldn't say I would say Johan Cruyff potentially would have played. I would categorize him as a number ten, not a nine. Played in between the half spaces between the midfield and the forward line, allowed to drift where he wants and create chances. That's a very different number 10 to a Mesut Ozil. So was Mesut Ozil just a, a standalone figure in this 10 mythical creature that we've created in our mind? I think you know, there's players like like um, Georgie Hadji was that kind of player. That Again, I, I think I keep going to this like d- diminutive little... Yeah, um, who was Matter. The guy? Yeah, also, I mean, I guess... I can, I can Matter played on the wing though, didn't they? Matter. But and I think that's an important point in the linguistics. Maybe you're right with this linguistics thing. But that where you also where you start and where you finish is different as well. Like w- when we talk about teams now, it's it's kind of pointless to say, "Oh, this is a this is a four three three because it's mm. with the ball and without the ball." And I think that plays a part in this in this old yeah. nostalgic romantic idea of what a player is. Because actually, uh, the new school number ten, if you want to not do any of that sort of grunt work, I guess. I think the perfect example of the new school number ten is Bruno Fernandez. Yes, I really I do. Because he is not only an exceptional chance creator. Yes, we're all aware. He gives the ball away a lot. Um, He's trying to make those But plays. he is also a dog off the ball. He will run for days. And not necessarily, it's not necessarily actually always a good thing because sometimes his pressing is very out of shape with the rest of his team. As we saw, you know, when it was a disaster, quite frankly, under Ralph Rangnick uh, before Ten Hag kind of reined him in a little bit. But he is very much a chance-creating footballer that plays in between the lines that has now developed his game to such a level where he is a bit of a dog. Because he originally, you look back to his Italian days, was a defensive midfielder. So I think the players have transitioned into new roles and maybe that's more where, you know, a singular position is what time forgot. Mark, rather than just a number 10, people yeah. could do so many other things. Right back to centre mid. A defensive midfielder can drop in players as a centre back. A striker is a false nine. Exactly. A winger is an invert. I think that's more what's changed. The linguistics around football positioning have changed, not necessarily just the death of a number 10. I think it's quantity. There's a quantity of tactics now. Mm. There's a quantity of roles. And I, coming back to it, I, I do think there's a 
a quantity of technically far more gifted players yeah. than there was in the mid to late 90s. And that's when you had a lot of those kind of players knocking about. Right, guys. So apparently we've figured it out. The number 10 is not dead. He's just, it's he's just drifted to the right. It's changed. <laughs> yeah. to the right. Uh, we will be back talking about the future of England after this. Right, guys, we are back. Uh, just to say, uh, I didn't talk about Abire Eze in that last bit, and QPR have a, a long history or a Delta wrapped, and I know people have probably been screaming. Ooh. Yes. See, if, they're that, if they've got that much sauce, you're you fine. Allow them? You're, you're fine. allowing them. You're then. allowing them. Yeah, yeah okay. you find a way. You just put Sean Derry next to him. So we're going to talk about the future of England. Uh, a great start for Gareth Southgate's team. Hopefully all managers named Gareth will be doing well for the foreseeable future. Do you think Gareth Southgate's got the Maori Warriors in? The what? The Maori in? <laughs> Doing the hacking? I think it'd be a great option. I, think, I guess the uh, the smart thing would have been not to. So actually, a little insight on this. So I interviewed him last week. Mm, I, I saw, yeah. And on the way out, uh, someone from the media team said to me, so sorry, for those of you who don't know, a quick aside, uh, I'm a QPR fan and our manager is Gareth Ainsworth and we, um, I got a lot of tweets from people after we lost 6-1 uh, because Barstool put out a tweet with... Uh, a Maori coming to see the mm. QPR players, which was put out by the club. So I remember thinking, why Why did we put that out? I remember at the time, it was bef- well before the 6-1. We then beat Watford 1-0, and then after that, we lost 6-1, and Barstool were like, now. Is there a worse account on Football Twitter? It's up there. No Whoever comment. runs it, this <laughs> is a message it. to you. <laughs> Leave your role. Really? It's awful. Really? I can't fun, stand it, it, man. But Barstool Soccer, it's called. It's yeah. just... I mean, I've, I've only seen that one tweet that I keep disaster. getting sent. Right. It's just awful. It's well, yeah, like the worst of football really, Twitter. I could have done without that tweet. So basically that tweet was a clip between uh, the post-match interview where we lost 6-1 uh, with our, and then Gareth Ainsworth introducing this Maori to... Yeah. But as, so as I'm leaving, the, the guy, guy at QPR's media team goes, what did you think of that? And I was like, oh, are you... I sort of checked. So I went, oh, do you work for the... Because yeah. my, my view on it was like, we shouldn't put that out. Okay. You do that when you're pushing for the playoffs. You don't do that when, you, when you're struggling. That's just my view on it. Anyway. It's an easy stick, isn't it? It's so easy. And you've got to be switched on to those things, mm. right? Which is interesting because he said that Gareth was really happy for it to go out at the time because what he wanted to get across was that he's going to bring these people together, which is his USP, right? Mm-hmm. And just before in the interview, Ainsworth had, I was sort of saying to him, the important thing for you is to is to be you and don't don't move away from being you because you'll lose the 11 years of great reputation that you've got by stepping away and giving mixed signals to this group mm-hmm. you need to be yourself and he's like well you look i haven't got twitter i haven't got a facebook account i don't have instagram i don't have any of these things i've got whatsapp and that's it and so when i then got to my car I then went my head just sort of exploded I went oh mm. he doesn't know the abuse that you, these things that are going to happen because he's not had, you know, he said, I've not bought a newspaper since 2005 or whatever it was. So, so yeah, so I think that was why that occurred. It's because he was like, no, it's nice, isn't it? Put it out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it didn't work out. Sad. Um, but yeah, anyway, all Gareth man- all managers called Gareth are great. That's the important thing that we've learned from that last two minutes. Nice tangent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. I enjoyed it. Anyway, so. Great start. And actually, we were talking about Twitter. Mm. Uh, Twitter was really quiet yesterday. And I thought, oh, England must have won. Yeah, Wasn't they? Standard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I find the, the, the clamour to find a negative. I know. It's quite incredible, isn't it? I'm bored of it. Yeah. I'm so bored of it. But that is football Twitter, isn't it? That is yeah. what football t- Twitter lives and breathes, yeah. is negative. It thrives on negatives. Without it, it would be dead in the water. That's if true. everybody on football Twitter was being positive, it would be a bizarre place to exist but nevertheless i also like you jimbo i find the negativity around even quite frustrating um and i thought you know i didn't watch all of the ukraine game yesterday um i caught the second half but i watched the italy game where the first half we were fantastic the second half we were a disaster yeah yeah <laughs> but, uh, but i i don't know i found it entertaining you, i'm not gonna I, lie this is a problem this is a ripple effect of twitter is that everything has to be outrageously brilliant and any kind of mm. any even speck of uh, weakness is just like 
they put the the fuel that's chucked on it. It's just unbelievable. I know. Harry Maguire gives the ball away. <gasps> Get him out! But you know what? Come that started. On, to, I feel like that started to infest more general football punditry. I I found some of the commentary of Declan Rice over the last probably six weeks really frustrating. Really? Yeah, I think you know this idea that oh, I don't score enough goals, Declan. That's a football Twitter opinion, like, yeah. and that is spread through mainstream. I hear that on Talksport twice a week. I'm thinking to myself, what are we talking about? I'm not... It's so lazy. It's so la- and, and it's the same with Twitter as well. Actually, the the positivity that you do see is is a player from your team, mm. probably Saka this weekend, being the greatest player ever. Yeah. Full stop. Just so you know, tweet sent. It's like painful. Just wait. Anyway, there are a lot of reasons to be positive for, for England at the minute. The emergence of the talents of the Premier League, such as Saka, Declan Rice, as previously spoken about on the Ripple Effect, and Phil Foden, alongside players such as Rashford stepping up, or you know, stepping back as well, um, <laughs> became one of the best players of the world recently. That's unbelievable. That's a great. That's the. That's one of the best examples of it. Of just mm. wait. Let's not just no, say no. he's finished when he's actually just in the needs summer. A I was having to battle off hordes of United fans. Remember when we linked to PSG? Yeah. I said, we let's we cannot let him go at any cost here. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Hordes of United fans. I'll drive him in a taxi myself. I'll pay for the taxi myself to PSG. Honestly, painful. <sighs> Seriously. And, and, no painful. One, and no one goes, look, Joe, I got this wrong. Like, say that. Say it. Anyway, obviously, we don't want to forget uh, Jude Bellingham as well. He's been absolutely amazing. Mm. And the next five years looks really good. But there are a lot of questions that we could ask about England as to how they're going to become uh, great going forward. Let's get the Southgate discussion done. Because the okay. truth is, the truth is, is that he he will go off the next tournament, you would yeah. imagine. No matter what. I no think even what. if he wins it, he'll go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it, would sort of be that, it would be that goodbye, which generally I'm quite concerned about that the understanding that that is the case. But I wonder with this one, I wonder with this one, it's actually, it's bigger than him. Like, you know, sometimes you kind of want to do it for Sir Alex Ferguson when I think he was going to go in 2001. I, I really remember, no one else will remember this, but I remember Gordon Strachan doing really well at Southampton, stay with me, and doing so well. It was when James Beattie couldn't stop scoring. Right. And then he told them that, oh, I'm going to go at the end of the season. And they just went, mm. just fell off a cliff in terms of, um, form because I, I guess there wasn't the, the consequences weren't there for those players in terms of why United under Angnick yeah 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 just gave up didn't they you know he's not going to be there and it's going to be a whole new exactly group so, behind the I mean, maybe maybe we're seeing that maybe we saw that tiny bit with Conte I don't think that would be the same with Southgate because I think he's always provided that responsibility the players, to the players love himself. Southgate whenever you interview or speak to a player they cannot speak highly enough of Gareth Southgate yeah and but I also think I think what he's done brilliantly is he's allowed them to sort of grow up as leaders themselves mm. it's such a you young team that. mate it's such a young team but you see that team and there are you can see the leaders out there though mm, you can and you can see how some of them have blossomed as well just as Domestic elements are part of this. Say someone like John Stones, I think, is is a very comfortable player there now. I think Maguire, whatever you want to say about it, has those leadership elements. Declan Rice is certainly that kind of player. Jude Bellingham mm. is definitely that kind of player. Yeah. There's a lot of those kind of guys there. Jude Bellingham, I thought, was inter- interesting over this international break. I thought it was a little bit of a transition for Jude Bellingham. And I think it was kind of... Dortmund. It's been the same at Dortmund, to be fair. But he's definitely moving higher up the pitch. As he grows, he's... You know, we, we've heard lots about this. He was 22 because he can play yeah, these yeah, three yeah. different roles. He's definitely moving into more of an advanced midfield role. I think against Italy, he completed 12 passes in 85 minutes. I think there's there's definitely a sign that Jude Bellingham is becoming more of a 10 than he was a 6. Sort of box-to-box 10. Yeah, and I think that is one of the reasons that it might not be the worst thing for Liverpool to miss out on Jude Bellingham. That's very interesting. Well, I thought you said Klopp could play with a 10. Klopp could play with a 10, but Surely clearly... he's the perfect 10, isn't he? He's Klopp, your box Klopp could play with a 10, but clearly in the current system doesn't necessarily have a 10, does it? Does it? He would have to transition his system to, to accommodate Jude Bellingham, is what I'm saying. And at £150 million, do you want to transition a system or do you want to just go plug and play into midfield? I think I think when you've got to play like Bellingham, he can, he can kind of go wherever you want. He could cut, kind of be that Mazzala as well. I think he's got it in him. I also... Because what's what I really like, if you... If you look at how they're playing England now, is that they kind of not cons- you let Bellingham have his side mm. and you let Rice have his side, and Rice is is there to sweep up a little bit if needed, but because Bellingham's so dominant, that whole lane, yeah, he just absolutely I just dominates. Think it's it. the most natural fit for Real Madrid. 
I just think you you have Chua Many and Camavinga in the deeper roles and Bellingham in the more advanced midfield. We did role. that podcast two just, weeks ago, Joe. That's, sorry, that's the Will Brazier podcast. Go check that one out. We talk, we actually talked through the next fifteen Ugh. years of Jude Bellingham. He's got at least seven seven tournaments. Great for England. Declan oh, Rice again, great for England. And then we go and talk Harry Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so let's, let's do Southgate first because at some point he's going to leave. So if he leaves, what will be, you know, what will be the the ripple effect of the next manager? Who will be that next manager? Is that next manager you've got? Is Eddie Howe replaced by that point? And then Newcastle no. fans get annoyed by that. But I, I, the realistic thing with Howe, it, I would say, is that if he goes through a bad period of form with a, a far more star-studded squad, fans will tweak their view. I think, and uh, they'll go. Okay, he's done. He's got us up this up to this mm. level. We now need a new guy. I think that England I'm not now that's have right, by the way. a pathway of coaching that might not. You might not see the next manager come out of an external appointment. I think it's far more likely you see the next England head coach come from within the FA setup. Eva. Lee Carsley from the under 21s takes the same route that Gareth Southgate did. That Maybe would be wild. Under... Someone from the Republic of I know he's an under 21 manager, but I, 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 I think that the way it's set up at St George's Park now, the pathway for coaching is very much internal. Mm. I think it would be a, it would be a big transition for an external person to come in into that role because of how the FA are set up, how the youth teams are coached under 21 level compared to the first team. Even in the under 19s, I think it would. I personally can see that appointment coming from internally. The issue is whether, like you say, I don't think I does don't Lee Carsley want that job? I don't I, think they dare give the senior job. I know it sounds t- terrible, and I don't agree. I don't agree with that, but you, I, I've always been very clear. I, I think in international sport, I think you're especially when you're one of the the top nations. Your manager should be from that country. I think that's that's. I, do you know? What? I didn't even realize Lee Carsley was Irish. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think although. So I'd be, I think it'd be a brave one as well. I think people yeah, it would less be brave. than myself but would then, be very much against. I think the, you know, what are the other options that maybe Potter is chopped by then? Well, that's it. I think you've got, a, you know, uh, a certain um, Will Still. Who I know. William. <laughs> yeah. William. Could Will Still be there by that point? You know, because he's got a bit of time, hasn't he? You know, I think he would have to get a part of the England FA set up. Yeah. Would it, but that, so that, I wonder if that could be something. Now, there's been links with him with Crystal Palace. Which I, I don't it's hate. Too soon. Yeah, it's too soon. But I think I think he would be very excited to be an under twenty one manager. Get him in that fold whilst you can, and see if he wants to kind of go go and do that. I think he should continue to grow his reputation on the continent. I don't I don't want to see Will Still on English shores for another five years. I want to see him go France, Italy, Germany. I would love to see an English coach do that before they hit English shores and we're immediate areas just like, look at the hype around this yeah, guy yeah. and he just flops at Palace. And hopefully you see that as a new understanding because we've seen that with the, the English talent. Yeah. You've seen that and you actually see that where we're going to talk about the under 21s. You can see that the the sort of pathway is not, again, not what it was 15 years ago where you just you take players from the top because it takes, it. There's a, there's not a, it's not an A to B route. Like no, you have to not. go off to you know the Bundesliga. We're seeing it with Callum Hudson-Odoi, we saw it with Jane Sancho, numerous players. Yeah. Maybe the future is the same with, with coaches as well. That would yeah. be interesting. I mean, look at Follow and Balogun, smashing yeah. Ligue 1 apart, isn't it? Would he have been having such a successful season at West Ham? I doubt. Would it, yeah, would he be Highly. getting the minutes? I think the different kind of. I think staying out of the spotlight yeah. at times is, is useful Definitely. as well. I I I'd chuck it out there as well, just because I've said it numerous times, and I, I do think I do think there's almost like a hierarchy of of kind of leagues and exposure. And I think England, being the England manager, is not where it was. So England was above the mm. domestic league, and it's not anymore. It's it's under it's underneath those big Premier League jobs. A bit like, so previously you would have seen that, say, with uh, Northern Ireland or a Welsh manager. They would go, they would do well. Alex McLeish for Scotland. They would do well and then they would mm. they would bounce. I think England, England, maybe not totally, they do it at, the, at a time that's right for them, but they would still be looking for those kind of jobs at times. So the name that I want to put forward is Mick Beal, because I think with Rangers, he's got that great little middle ground where I think he still is so ambitious... I think he is a very, very good coach. I think he knows what young players want. And I, yeah, he has that ambition, but I don't think he'll get any of those jobs just yet. And so if he did well at Rangers, I could see him making that little leap as well. As, and also as, 
that might be the new route is players that haven't played for England that have kind of like the Will Stills, like those players that are just because mm. I think that's the Lots new. Up. That's what we were talking about Lampard last week was that there are these players that I think it's almost a stain, weirdly, to be a great ex-player and become a manager because now there's this new just feeling that you're not actually that smart. Have you actually, have you got the soft skills to really talk to these I people? I think the difficulty for the things. elite player at managerial level, which is why you very rarely see it happen, I think it requires a really interesting breed of coach to have been a great player, is that they expect players to have been able to, pl- to be able to play and do things that they could do yeah. that these players simply can't do. And I think... Mindset-wise as well. I yeah, think. I think so. And, you know... You look at some of the best coaches now in the world, you know, they, they were very good players, but there are also ones emerging, i.e. Jurgen Klopp's, who weren't exceptional players, but There's have a different of level those. of mindset. Yeah. And I think that comes down to hunger. I think those, you know, you can sort of, you can work away. Hard work can get rid of doubt. Mm. I think it's, I always love that saying. And I think that is the case for a lot of these guys because they're like, I wasn't good enough. So I need to be smarter than you. You see it in every walk of life. And so I think that that is the case. I th- and I think that could be kind of the, the future. So the difficulty is, that, yeah, I think a lot of these, the trajectory of these managers, you've got to kind of catch them at the right time yeah. before everyone's turned against them like I Potter. think we just need to see where Graham, where Graham, where Gareth Southgate is at when, when, once he's finished and what the lay of the line is across European football there. Um, because I don't necessarily have a massive issue with putting non-Englishmen into the England role. Do you know I don't know. I've got mixed feelings. I feel like maybe on podcasts in the past, I've been like, yeah, I do. I really want an Englishman in there. And now I just kind of am thinking to myself, does it make a massive difference? I think it's, I think it's, I think it's disappointing towards the, in, I, I think it, you're allowing yourself an advantage that you shouldn't be allowed. I do know what you mean. Yeah. Do you know it's what kind I mean? of cheating, isn't I think, it? I think it's pathetic, personally. Like <laughs> that you can't find, you can't find one coach yeah. just because he ain't big enough grow up and give and or give it give it a chance you know to someone that shouldn't have wouldn't have got anywhere near it in Southgate and it, look what he's gone and done I think the, the ripple effects of Gareth Southgate leaving actually won't be that great strangely mm. just because well the only thing will be the way he deals with the press I think is so brilliant and just gets on with it because there is this conversation going on around him now at this stage but the, the, the players I think I think it's got to the point where that it's such a young I think it's 56 debuts he's given now mm. for England and a lot of those players are obviously still there and they will almost police themselves for the next five, six years. So I don't think that's too big of a problem. Do you think that the summer transfer window could have big consequences for England and their chances of winning a tournament? We've got a few different examples here that could affect it. So Mason Mount going to Liverpool, like does that allow him to kind of reinvent himself and suit the 4-3-3 system with two progressive eights? Do you think he, he could get in there? What we saw with the Italy and the Ukraine games, you kind of had Calvin Phillips for that sort of security I think in the in mm. the Italy game in, in the Ukraine game they switched up and actually had Henderson because they knew they're kind of do- going to I'm not saying Henderson's a really attacking yeah. player but they were going to dominate and be higher up the pitch and he did that I, don't know. I feel like Mason actually needs to refine some form that's like base level like I wouldn't even be worrying about like positions and, and, and tactical tweaks I think Mason Mouse... does he need that move to get that form back no I don't think so I think that Graham Potter especially early days definitely trusted Mason Matt I think nearly every coach Mason Matt has ever played for has trusted him to a huge degree and to massive success generally I mean we're talking about a Champions League winner here so you know under a manager like Thomas Tuchel who is renowned as one of the best tacticians in Europe got a massive tune out of Mason Mount Mason Mount was maybe one of his best players across that Chelsea yeah, stint yeah. Um, I'm interested to see him at Liverpool I I don't think it's the most natural fit. Who uh, is the natural fit then? Where does Mason Mount play in that Liverpool side? I think there's that there's a big gap there where Wijnaldum was. I'm not saying Mount's exactly the same, but in terms of that intelligent uh, and energetic press, I think a player like Mount could. could you think suit Mount could do it in eight, as an eight? Because uh, he's, he's not Wijnaldum, but it, playing in a similar area, I think he could do. Yeah, like, when he it. was most successful in, at Chelsea under Tuchel. Quite often it was, was a right winger in a front three and a four three. Fr- oh, a I three, think four, three. I think he's best as a ten. Yeah, but even as a, even as a ten, Klopp doesn't like. Other than that, Coutinho, which is now eight years ago, really, he's transitioned away from that with that with that structure. No, and I don't think he'd get that. But I think in a central area, being smart and quick with the ball, I think 
Mason Mount's main thing is is his intelligence, and I think that's why he could be a good fit. I think. Look, I think people have just gone. He works hard. He presses. He I works that, for Liverpool. I think that's an element. I think it's not just working hard. It's like it's the stamina to do it as well. The physicality is, is a huge part. I think. Of it. I think Mount works in a ten, or as a floating eight in a, in a back and forth Liverpool system as they deploy now. If they've got an outstanding six. And if Fabinho was at the level he was at last season, I would totally agree with you. If you could have Fabinho at that peak level and Mount flying up and down the pitch as a shuttling eight who's slightly more of an attacking player, I would agree with you. But you then got to go and sign a six as well because I don't think you can put all of that pressure on Bajetic. I think it's too early. I, th- I think you. I think all the all he'll be good for him, but I think it's not yeah, the yeah. most perfect fit. I would like to see Mason Mount go on the go to the continent, get out of England. I'd like to see him in a different league and see what he could do out there. Sure, he'd be good at Newcastle as well. The uh, uh, In terms of two players that could move as well in the summer, say, um, Madison obviously had his mm. second debut, as he said himself. Could If he goes to a top six side, does brilliantly, let's say he goes to Newcastle, although they, you know, they kind of went and got Gordon, but could still maybe... He's perfect for them. Because he, uh, he can play in the, in, in the forward line, as, he, as we saw for the England side. I don't think, again, Madison as a three in a Liverpool or... No, I, agree. I think Newcastle. Works. I think Newcastle is the shout. I, I don't know why they got Gordon. I'm, I'm a bit confused by that. But I guess again, he's when Newcastle are heading, mm. profile-wise, it's a smart move because he's young. There'll be resale value. But I think if you bought yeah. Madison in the summer for Newcastle, Gordon wouldn't get wouldn't get a game. Yeah, I think Mount's an interesting one, isn't it? Because how much do you think he's going to cost? I know Madison. We talk about Madison. We've, we've moved on from Mount, but he's not going to be cheap, even though he's got a year left on his contract. Yeah, and I think now, like. Do you think teams are willing to... to, to... I always struggle with the numbers, mate, because I think it's all, you know, what is it, 60, 70? Like, I don't, it's whatever yeah. someone's willing to play, play, isn't it, really? That's, what, that's my point. Is anybody willing to outlay £60 million on Mason Mount this summer? Or do they just go, do you know what? Because I think it's different to Kane, where he is maybe the second best player in the league. Mm. Do you just wait on Mount and just get him for free? I don't think there's a guarantee Mount leaves this season. Summer, I do even think. If... I do think the way it's heading, more and more those players are going to players are just going to leave on free. I do as well. I think that I'm not convinced anybody's going to going to put up front sixty million pounds on a player like Mount, who's going to be available on a free next season. But whereas for Kane, I could potentially see it because he's so blockbuster. Back to England. Do you think that Madison is good enough, and once he gets that move as well, good enough to? make England kind of restructure a little bit so that he is a regular starter. Really. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think he's absolutely exceptional. But I think it depends on his fitness record, which is pants at the moment. He mm. just can't stay fit, can he? So I, I think, as I say on nearly every show, the best ability is availability, especially to Gareth Southgate. You're not fit, you're not here. And he Joe. don't... He, Southgate will not have it. If you, if you are not fit enough, you're not going to be in the team. You know, I thought the quote, quotes about Marcus Rashford were quite telling this week, which I didn't necessarily agree with because, you know, I've seen Marcus Rashford put himself through the ringer for England and Manchester United, playing with, you know, sprained ankles, stress fractures in his back. And then to say, well, you know, he's not here, he's not here. Well, he's played for an awful lot for you, Gareth. So, Back um, up. But, yeah, to a level. But I think that as long as Madison can stay fit, then I think that is a possibility. I think no doubt the future's bright for, for England. Uh, you'd be so gutted if... We were talking about Jude Billingham a couple of weeks ago. If he doesn't win an international tournament, you're like, early, I'll, be, early. I'll be 70 by this point. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Um, but the under-21s got a great win against France. and They've got an interesting squad as well. Yeah. Where there's a lot of players. I mean, the starting lineup alone has some really exciting players. You know, like uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, Harvey Elliott, um, Madaweki. The forward positions were still kind of waiting for someone to emerge. Because that, I get that's something to kind of keep an eye on when it comes to England moving forwards. Because, you know, Harry Kane is 30 in July. How long has he got left? Is he going to tweak and change? Is he going to become more of a... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Is he going to become more of a 10 and allow those players to run past? That might be the kind of future. Is Ivan Tony going to get his move? Yeah. And what happens... Because I I am such a huge fan of him. I think he I think could be amazing. Man United's number nine in the summer. I think, I think he'd be an immense fit for Ten Hag's system. I think he'd be great for Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea as well. I think. And I think really if that happens, Arsenal. then do we start to see Tony as the natural successor to well, Harry Kane because he's then our big six club? Yeah, well, I think that's it. That perception is a huge part of it. The the one thing I wanted to say about the under twenty ones is it's interesting when you look at it that there are actually a lot of players that aren't at those big six seven teams. And I, again, that kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier with that 
the progression is just not linear anymore. There are, mm. there is that gap between those like top guys and say someone like James Garner, he's kind of played or Rian Brewster. Like you've got players that are going to have to sort of move on to sort of get themselves where they want to be. And I think that's always interesting to see because what you often see is fans go, oh, okay, well, he's not, he's gone backwards a little bit. So that's the end of him. And that's mm. often not the case. The one thing I will say is I do hope that England stop putting a negative spin and I think Southgate's a bit culpable of this as well. I love Gareth, but I think he is a bit culpable of this. A negative spin on players playing away from the Premier League. For instance, if, if Victor Mori was playing in the Premier League, there's no doubt who'd be getting selected in these England squads. I agree. Um, and I think it was the case, obviously he's struggling now, but I think it was the case I adore for Jadon Sancho at Dortmund as well when he was tearing out the Bundesliga he was not getting selected. I think Jude Bellingham may be slightly different because he's obviously the prodigy, the guy. But I would like to see, you know, less pressure... I think it would encourage more players to go and play abroad if there wasn't like a, a Premier League. If you're in the Premier, you're picked. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's fair. I went to Dortmund two weeks ago and we went to, they beat uh, FC Cologne 6-1. Yeah. And I was when I was watching it, they were battering them, which just didn't help in terms of my assessment of it. But I, what I was trying to watch all the time was, what is the standard here? Like, how good is yeah. this? How good is this? That game, maybe it was the you know the dominance and brilliance of, of Dortmund. It didn't feel Premier League quality. So, but I don't see that as a, a totally bad thing because the at- atmosphere was fantastic. Yeah, and those kind of things are important. And if a player's got the ceiling, then that doesn't mean it's the end of it. Do you know what I mean? And so, say someone like Bellingham. Bellingham is a player who is so comfortable in any stadium. Mm-hmm. Because he's played these Europa League games against Rangers, where you, you've you know even that that one that they've they've lost, those kind of games, Champions League games, games where he's struggling, games against the best. Championship games. He's played Championship yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, sixteen. Yeah. But it's that's it. You need the amount of games mm. to be good enough. And I, I agree with you. Just because he's playing in that league, he's obviously good enough for England. Well, Victor Moore is part of one of the best defensive structures in in Italy over the last 18 months. Maybe not so much, you know, over the last six months because they've, they've kind of fallen off a cliff under Pioli. But, you know, when he won the Scudetto and was one of the defenders of the year in Serie A, was still not really getting a look in. I think the thing with Tomori is it's a systematic thing where AC Milan, with the, they play with that leftover defence and it, it utilises his strengths. Whereas I think it, with international football times, one big thing for Southgate, which is why he does lean towards Maguire, who, let's remember, has been really good at these tournaments for several tournaments. Set pieces. I agree, but I'm, I am starting air. to... I, like, even against Italy, that, that Maguire error, that's a Man United error. Yeah. I've seen him yeah, make yeah, that yeah. error a yeah, hundred times where he misplaces a pass, tries to overcompensate, flies out the line, smashes through the back of Barella, who comes off injured two minutes later. Massive space opens up goal. I've seen that happen a number of times over the last 18 months of Manchester United. That wasn't previously happening in England shirts. Mm. He was very th- composed. That's a, that's a very fair critique on Southgate, where it's like, when are you going to be brave enough to give Tomori that run of games to yeah. see? Or put him in the squad. But yeah, yeah. That's a good starting point, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's a good... Like, Levi Colwell is another one of those players that's had to leave Chelsea, gone to Brighton. I, I saw him at Huddersfield. I thought he's fantastic. So there is... The, the cavalry's coming to a point when it comes to those players, but is Southgate going to be... That could be a problem with Southgate. They've been there so long. He's got a lot of trusted lieutenants. Yes. Uh, last thing. Arsenal winning the league. Does that make Ramsdale number one? No. Even if Everton go down, no. Pickford has to move He's going to eventually be number one. When? He's 24. You know, Jordan Pickford's what? Is he better than Pickford? 30. Um, I think in certain elements of his game, yes. He's definitely better than Pickford with the ball at his feet. I think his distribution and calmness in short passing is superior to Jordan Pickford. I think Pickford's long kicking game is pretty got solid. I think his shot stopping is exceptional because he just, you know, faces and has faced over the last four years an exceptional level of shots for <laughs> yeah, Everton. Right, yeah. And um, Sunderland, yeah, before that. But equally, I just don't think he's letting, he's, he's been pretty much picture perfect for England. And at international level, that's all that really matters, not making mistakes. So I, I think the consequence, the ripple effect of Rams, the Ramsdale discussion, especially if Arsenal win the league, yeah. I think is really interesting. And there's a lot of stuff that's not real. Everything you've just said there is very real. But... Pickford being Everton and 
But just the fan base to allow the noise of Arsenal, that is going to make it harder and harder. If we played how Arsenal played, then I would say, yeah. But England don't play how Arsenal play. They don't play as well. They don't play as fluidly. And that's mainly down to the fact, in my opinion, that you know we get, the coaches get six weeks a year to work with the players. Yeah, yeah. If that was the case, I would totally be on board with Ramsdale. And I'd have no problem with him starting tomorrow. But I just don't see it as a necessary change to make. Why bring out a player that's been flawless for you for a player that has been flawless for his club? I think... You know, Ramsdale's a great goalkeeper and he's going to get his chance. He's 24. By the time he's 28, he'll be England's number one. Of that last question, of that England sort of general 11 that we know, is there a youngster that you see in the next two to four years or a player that we've not really seen going into that team and disrupting it in any way? Um... I mean, we haven't really seen Trent, <laughs> have we? Three, I mean, three appearances in last England's last 33 games, I think. We haven't really seen him. So maybe one day. Um, I think outside of that, in the under-21 setup, I still think that Morgan Gibbs-White is the guy. I just absolutely adore him. And I do think that because of the way Southgate is set up and how England play and Morgan Gibbs-White's ability to play as a wide player and as a 10, i.e. a Phil Foden, Jack Grealish I think it's a more natural evolution and I would love to see him given a chance because I just don't think you know the fullbacks are pretty set I don't see the outstanding left back candidate in the youth team coming through and going he's going to start over Luke Shaw and Ben Chilwell I think the midfield the youth is already embedded with Bellingham and Declan Rice and you know I don't see an even better version of them coming through because they're already in there so I think it's probably in the forward line and behind Harry Kane maybe it's following Balogun but he might he might pick you know, the yeah. USA. You never know. Yeah, Nigeria um, as well. So I, I think maybe Morgan Gibbs White, but overall, I don't. Know, it's, it's a tough decision, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with you because because the team is so young. The team's just already so young, and there's already so many talented players in there. Um, I, yeah, and he's also one of my favourite players in the league. Morgan Gibbs White. Every I, time I watch him, I think he's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, the one thing I do wonder: maybe would it ever go away from the DNA? We'll we'll find out. But when that new manager comes in. You've got so many different right backs. I'm sort of seeing Rico Lewis there, and like, if 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 you've got a manager that wants to go down that route, yeah, of the inverted right back, yeah, maybe. but maybe that's Ben maybe. White as well. That's the other option for you there. But look, the future's bright. Mm. Future's England. The future's orange, <laughs> indeed. Uh, and yeah, other telephone networks are available. Right, guys. That was the ripple effect. Uh, me and Joe are going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo now after a uh, brief. I need. I was going to say hiatus. Break to have a wee. All right, so just think about me weeing. Whilst you're thinking about that, follow the Ripple Effect. Give us a five-star rating and uh, go check out Joe and the Football Daily as well when you get a chance. And your TikTok's good as well, isn't it? It's all right, mate. Thanks very much for that plug. There you go. There you go. Right, guys, uh, we'll be back very, very soon.